Good, oh, good morning. My name's James Duff, and many of you know me, but if you don't... Hi. I, <laughs> I worked here for five years, best five years of my ministry life. I had a lot of fun with Malcolm Potts and others, and with you. And if you don't... Um, yeah, if you weren't part of that, you missed out. It was good times. Um, Anyway, it's good to have you here today. Good to be part of it. Kieran, I came to... uh, I'm an Anglican minister. I I run a church that's... Well, actually about to become part of the Churches of Christ, who's an um, organisation that we're coming under because it's good to be under authority and accountability. So we're doing that. But I'm still an Anglican minister. You sort of can't lose that unless you... Well, you can, but... Anyway, I'm still one. Uh, What I was going to tell you... Oh, yeah, so I came to Kieran's... Um, such an Anglican, what is it called? Commissioning. Oh, that thing where he gets the, whatever that is, all that is. And um, that was excellent. And I said to Kieran, I was sitting up the back and I said, mate, it'd be good to come and share it, what's happening in the common, because the commons, because St. Philip's has played such a major role in what's happened at the common. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. So I said, come, come along and give a report back. And I said, fantastic, that'd be great. I got an email and we, we worked out a date, which happens to be today. And then he said, oh, can you preach as well? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. And he says, and um, can you write amusing as well? I'm like, yeah, great. He said, can you run the service? And I said, oh, mate, it's very nice that Emma's running it. That's excellent. Um, so anyway, I think there's a, in the amusing there, I've written a few things about what's happening at the common. And that all leads me into what I'm going to preach on and which is a little hybrid today. It's a hybrid of what's here in the passage, but also what's happening in the common as well. Humanity is not made to look at radical evil. When, when we look at radical evil, we're like kids looking at a horror movie. You put your hands up over your eyes or over your ears, thinking somehow that that will shield us from radical evil. I don't know about you, but that's how I felt this week when I heard of what's happening in the Middle East. It was like looking at a horror movie and covering my eyes and covering my ears as I heard about grandparents in... in, and bus shelters being pulled down onto the middle of the street and having their throats slit. I read about babies being beheaded and killed where, I, where my eyes and my ears heard and saw uh, about women being raped several times and killed and then used as a trophy for radical evil driving down the street with, it, with the bodies. And for some of you, you're feeling really uncomfortable about me talking about this. And that's good, because that's the right response. Because you're not made to look at radical evil. We're not made to hear about radical evil. God didn't make us to live in radical evil. You see, when we were created by a just and merciful God, the God of grace and beauty, the God who carries the lambs in his arms. Yet the same God, who with his right hand will strike down kings on the day of his wrath, 
that God, the true, the only, the real God, the perfect God, he made us. That's who made us. And when he made us, he blessed us. He blessed us. And we see this blessing upon Noah today in today's reading. In today's reading, it's a, it's a recreation story. It's a new start for humanity. You know when you watch a car race, I've watched three in my life uh, for about three minutes, but when you do, if you've ever seen in the highlights, there's like they're driving around the track that, you know, they're flying around and then there's this like major chaos. There's like a big crash and it all goes totally all over the place and they have to stop the race, all the cars go back, they all get fixed up. An hour later, they restart it with a little safety car in the front and, and off they go. It, it's a bit like that in today's reading. As sin has just caused huge chaos. You can read about it from Genesis 3 and follow, follow that theme. And it's, it's a restart. The slate's been wiped clean. There's a blank canvas. And the blessing, the blessing that was given to our first parents in in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, is now given to Noah and his family as they step off the ark with a bunch of animals and their kids. And God blesses them today. He actually blesses them with more than what I'm going to tell you, but just to make this easy, he blesses with three R's. He blesses them with three R's. Now, when I went to school, we had a saying for someone who was finishing school in year 12, we'd, we talk about the three R's, rugby, <laughs> rowing, and repeating, okay? <laughs> Rugby's getting a real hit today, isn't it? Um, I've watched three games of rugby as well. So rug, like you, you play rugby in the winter, you, play, you, you row in the summer, and then you repeat year 12. I escaped all three, although the third one, I should do it actually again. I, was, I dream about no, I dream about not finishing Year 12 always because I should have done it. Anyway, the three R's, the three R's today aren't that. The three R's are this. These are three blessings that God gives Noah. Number one is to reproduce. Number two is to reign. And number three is to revel. Reproduce, reign, and revel. Let's touch on each of those blessings together. First, starting with to reproduce. And we see it twice. It's mentioned twice in the reading. Verse 1 and verse 7, and it echoes Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God says, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, multiply, have families, populate the earth, be a blessing to each other. Bless, 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 bless each other so others can be blessed, grow bigger and make the blessing bigger, and then people will know that I'm the God of blessing. Nearly six years ago, uh, St. Philip sent me out from here uh, to see if God would bless us, to see if a family would grow, that God would bless us and reproduce something. We are by no means a mega church, but one of the good problems that we have at the moment is we're, we're getting too big for the 
hall that we're in and we're looking for a, another building, which is a lovely thing. So he's, he's blessed us. But I've got hundreds of stories in the last six years, nearly six years, hundreds of stories where God has grabbed people in Willoughby and the surrounding areas by the scruff of the neck and pulled them out of hell and put them into his glorious light. I've seen heaps of stories where the least and the lost have come and be bandaged and loved by, by him, by, by his saints, by the common and people around it. And this is one story. This is a, if you've got the slide just up here, this is these, these people here, two people, first person on the, on the left. I've, I've spoken about her before and she might have even been here. You might have heard from her. Her name's Lainey. She was the first person who came to faith in Jesus when we started the Common. She's now leading a missional community at our church. It's wonderful. Um, the person next to her, that's Peter. And Peter has come close to the Common. Well, because of God's irresistible grace. But apart from that, this is how, this is how he's used the church. This is how he's used his people. Uh, there's a Willoughby catalyst. That's my sister who sold her, well, didn't sell, gave up her home, moved into Willoughby uh, out of the sort of a nicer suburb, moved into Willoughby and sort of has thrown her heart into s- proclaiming and promoting and the gospel of Jesus in that suburb. And when it's your sister, um, you get emotional, but she's done that, given that up. And um, as a single woman, and uh, lots of things have happened. Man, she's, she's just known as the God woman in that community now. She's been there for about three years. And she's studying theology as she's doing it, wanting to get herself sort of educated in that area. Now, Willoughby Catalyst, out of that, a missional community has sort of formed and grown, and the leadership has broadened. And there's people in it that you know. Susie Brands is part of that. Um, and others from the common. And they've, uh, they've done a whole range of things, but Peter's come close through that and through another thing that they've started. They've started a, a service that runs once a month on a Friday night in the Willoughby Community Centre. That's, that's really for the marginalised. It's a highly contextualised service so much so it's called the spag bog service or the spag bowl service because they get a feed of spaghetti bolognese. It's pretty simple. It's not nice and neat. It's pretty ugly and messy, but it's beautiful as well. And uh, that team has been doing that, such a great job doing that. But it's a hard thing to resource. That's another conversation. But that's what they're doing. And that Peter's come close through those things. And last year, Peter's daughter gave, sadly gave birth to a stillborn child, a girl. Uh, I took the funeral. Uh, we had hundreds of Indigenous people in that time and then we, uh, we, we did the wake. We organised that and funded that and, and, and served in that area. Uh, very recently, Peter's daughter, um, the mother, was violently and physically assaulted by her partner, who is currently now in jail, the father of that child. That stillborn child. Uh, that's the radical evil that's actually that we're, we're coming up against. Uh, there's more stories like that. You might have even read that story. Actually, you would have. It was in the newspaper and it was on the news. Uh, Peter and her family are now leaning into various parts of the common life 
where they are supported and loved. Uh, We're planning baptism classes for Peter and her daughter. That's exciting. But they come close. They hear the gospel. They come for prayer. They read the Bible. They hang out with us. The the common reproduces and grows, and, and Noah is to reproduce. Increase in number and fill the earth. That's the first R. It's to... It's the first R blessing to reproduce. The second, the second R, let's move on to that. The second R is to reign, for Noah and his family to reign. Verse 3, and I'll give you everything. Now, then the Lion King, remember the Lion King, Mephasa, he's this regal lion like you know, a real gravitas of it, you know, like Jeff when he read that was really. Um, he's got this little mate Simba, who's his little his little son, and there's this vista, this scene where they're standing and looking across all of Africa, and Mufasa, which is played by James Earl Jones, the guy who played Darth Vader. You know, his voice is like so good, um, and he says, "Look, Simba, look, everything." that light touches. Everything out there is our kingdom. And he shows this magnificent vista. Simba, with these little puppy dog eyes, sort of can't get it around his little head. It's all yours. I'm blessing you with all this. You're going to be the king one day. Mufasa goes on. He says, A king's time as a ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time and will rise with you as the new king, and this will all be yours, everything. And Simba can't believe it, this little lion, little lion cub with this whole blessing. And this is a bit, I reckon, what it was like for Noah. He steps off, and the whole thing, God says, is yours. Would have been overwhelming. It's all yours. A brand new landscape. I now give you everything. All that you see is yours. And you'll rule, God says, you'll rule the animals of the land and you'll rule the animals and the fish of the sea. It's all yours. And he says this interesting line, just as I gave green plants, just as I gave green plants, I now give you everything. And some people think up to this point that that Noah has had a life of lentils and tofu. That's what it's been about. But but he's been blessed and saved out of that life of tofu and lentils and he's now able to delight in ribeye and T-bone steaks and salmon and all the beautiful things of the world. That is a joke, by the way. I don't mind if you're a vegetarian. It's bigger. Don't worry about that. It's fine. It's not even a gospel issue. Go for it. There's good arguments for it. I understand. But the point is this. The second R is a blessing for Noah to reign. Reign over the animals. Reign over creation. Rule it and reign it. And when you do that, you need to look after it and steward it well. And the last R, the third R, is to revel. Revel. That's the R blessing. It's not so explicit in the text, but I think it's there. It's definitely implicit that Noah is to 
revel in the creation is to have fun, actually. Have fun. Enjoy it. Be fruitful. Increase. Rule over creation. It's yours. It's a gift. I'm giving it to you. Look after it. Toil the soil. Play. Hunt. Bless. I mean, some of you are keen gardeners. You know what it's like. Just play in the garden. You grow annuals for no reason other than they look pretty. Just do it. Have fun. We revel at the common. It's lots of fun. There's a guy, you remember him, Malcolm Potts. He's still alive. Um, and uh, he's a great man. Um, but Malcolm, always, one of the things he said to me when I first got here, James, we're going to have lots of fun. And I think we did have fun. Um, and, uh, and it's important to have fun in ministry. It's important to have fun in life. Important, important to enjoy it. He's given it to us to enjoy, to revel. Jim Collins, I think I wrote it in the musing, but he's a, he's a business guru thing, sort of bloke. Talks about having a big, hairy, audacious goal. And when I started the comments, someone said, you've got to write a vision statement. And I went, okay, I'll do that. So I sort of did that not really believing it, and it's, I've tweaked it and sharpened it up a little bit, but it's sort of one of those goals that you don't want to say because you sort of don't half really believe it and you don't want to be too big for your britches and all those sort of things living in Australia. But, man, wouldn't it be awesome in the city of Melville, 105,000 people, 100,000 don't go to church, far from God, it's a city with 18 suburbs in it. What will it look like in those 53 square, square kilometres that make up the city of Melville? What will it look like to have a missional community in each one? What will it look like to have eight healthy gospel-centred churches that know Jesus and love him and proclaim him as Lord and Saviour? Eight churches that can somehow be like an Antioch in the New Testament where the crazy Pauls and stuff go off into their missional community and reach out and do the mission. What would it look like if, if the common could be that? What could it look like if we resourced that type of movement? Maybe that vision's not big enough. I don't know. But last week we met, I met with the board of the common. I'm one of only five of that and one of six members, voting members, and they sort of said to me, they said, we've got to go for this. You've actually got to believe this. This is, our, this is ours now. This is not yours, James, anymore. I said, good. We, we believe it. We want to see it. And, and we're getting closer, closer to being a church like that, big enough to at least be one of those healthy churches, one of those eight, maybe. But we've, we've, got, we've got to jump. There's, there's a real chasm there for us to jump, which we need resourcing for, actually. And I haven't got all the details. I wasn't even going to talk, wasn't going to talk about it. But maybe that it is just to put into your mind to be praying for us. Because I do believe in Jesus and I do believe in the Great Commission. And I do believe that the city of Melville needs to know Jesus. And we're a people, we're the most dangerous community in the world. The church. Most powerful. There's nothing more beautiful than the local church. The answer is the gospel, and that's what holds us together. We've got what people need. It's the greatest gift of all time. We need to share it. We want to be a church that does that, and we want to see communities developed and people to come to love and serve him. And the ministry 
part of the ministry starting in Willoughby, and I know you support ministry in Willoughby, is there's not a lot of resourcing. No money in running that ministry. We, we, we need it. We need money. Actually, we need, over, we need hundreds of thousands of dollars probably to, do, to set up properly. And so we're pr- I don't know what's gonna, how the details are going to look, but I want you to be praying and thinking about that. And come and talk to me. If you want to, if you want to talk to me about it, please do. But we have fun in it, and these are the things that we do. These are the things, maybe we've got that up on a slide. Here's a few things that the common has done, and you have resourced this for us. You played a huge part. You've funded the common for over $100,000, me personally, to do this the last six years. And here we are. We run Sunday services. Great. We've got two missional communities that are too, way too big. They're like 30 people in each, more. We have a thing called Willoughby Connect where we meet with people weekly, uh, sorry, monthly for a tea and a coffee and games with kids. The Spag Bowl service, that's an absolute ripper. Um, come Close to the Common, which is our fifth Sunday, which is where we meet in a park and you come and have bacon and egg rolls. And uh, it's, it's okay, yeah, come along, it's good food. It's always about food. Um, I don't know why that is. Um, and uh, Spag Bowl, so, uh, Spag Bowl, Come Close to the Common, Kids ministry, farmers, youth, that's our youth ministry, young, young adults, you know, we've got a dozen people more in both those. Discipleship groups, they're like our small groups. We do a prayer night on a Wednesday night that's run again by Susie Brands. Willoughby prayer walk, uh, leadership huddles, they're like people who run different parts of the ministry. We deliberately disciple them. Here's an example. We are disciple. I'm discipling a couple, Jane and I, uh, the couple are called Jack and Heather Weaver. Uh, Heather's just finished up with YWAM. They're just about to have their first kid. I've known Jack because I used to work for his dad. There we are, back in Geelong. Somehow they've ended up here and at the Common. And they're long-term ministry people. Um, and they want to be in ministry long-term. And I huddle them fortnightly. Then Jack and Heather each huddle people. But Jack huddles three leaders of the farmers, the youth, and then they're 20-year-old boys, men. Then those men today, as we speak, virtually right now, are meeting with two other 15-year-old boys in a cafe in Willoughby. I think they're looking at a, the Book of Romans together and asking what is God saying to us and what do we need to do about it. So there's discipleship that's happening down there. Um, mentoring program, we run that at Carolee Primary School where we go in and we, mentor, we have um, children that we mentor in there. Thursday night dinner at the Duffs, that's fun. Don't come, there's too many people, although there's people that... No, you can come along, come please. Um, you'll just sit out the back with the dog. Christmas Day lunch, we do that as well. So we had last year, we had 60, I think it was 65 or 6 or 7 people in Willoughby who just don't have families and don't, can't eat, you know, all that sort of stuff. And uh, so we're doing that again this year, we're expecting more people. If you want to serve in that, I know it's Christmas Day, Come along. We'd love to have you. Let me know. We run a carols. There's other things. So we do all of that and we have fun because we don't take ourselves too seriously, seriously enough, but we are serious about Jesus. We have fun. Enjoy this together. We sort of knock about. We have to forgive each other. That's, a, that's one of our big things, healthy family dynamics. We need to make sure that we're forgiving one another and not abusing power, all those things. 
And so revel, that's the third R, and God has blessed Noah with those three R's to reproduce, to reign and revel. Excellent. But there's a shadowy side, a dark side to this reading. God knows very well that it's there. He says in 8.21 that every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. If you read this passage closely, you'll see it's there. The creation is not in order. The beast will fear humans and humans will murder each other. They'll kill each other. Radical evil. It's still being played out today. The flood has wiped out humanity, but it hasn't wiped out the real problem. The sin issue. The sin disease. The idol factory of the heart. Since chapter 3, sin has continued to ramp up. It's like when you, you, know, when you, you crank up the, the, uh, a car in the olden days, you used to crank it once with the crankshaft and then... Kroom, kroom. Some of you are old enough to remember, maybe. I don't know, joke. You crank it once and then off it goes, off it goes. And if, you, and if you read this from, and I think you have been from Genesis 3, you start to see how this has sort of got out of control. But it started really small. And that's what sin does. It starts small. There's an author called Giovanni Verga, who wrote a book or a short story called La Lupa. You may have read it, probably haven't. But it's a story of a beautiful woman, an older, beautiful woman who sets, but she's promiscuous, and she sets her eyes on a young soldier. Yet the young soldier is able to, although tempted, goes nowhere near her, but falls in love with the woman's daughter, and ends up marrying her on one condition, the older woman says, that I get to just sleep in the corner of your home. I'll just sleep in on a straw bed. Just let me in. The young man concedes, and the story traces the eventual wreckage of this marriage. But worse than that, It gets worse and worse and worse, and the last scene is of the older woman with an axe about to finish off the young soldier. My point is that sin starts small, but that's not where it wants to be. It says in chapter 4 that it crouches at the door. Anything that crouches is trying to make itself look small. Like my cat, I know it crouches, but I know it's ready to get big. When it jumps on me or someone, something. Sin might look small, but it's never satisfied with being small, like the promiscuous woman. Sin wants to cause maximum damage to us and maximum damage between us and God. And sin is still the problem here in the recreation story, But God will not deal with it by sending another flood. He promises he won't, and we can see it there three times. He makes an agreement, a covenant, a promise. 
verse 8, 12, and 17. He says, I'll never flood it again. These promises, these covenants, you see them all through the Bible. They're ways of God saying, I'm going to give you more grace. Be my people. More grace. I'm going to be be my people. I promise I'll never leave you. Grace, grace, grace. God won't flood the earth again. But the issue is still there. The flood might wipe out the people, but it doesn't change the human heart. There's the underlying issue. It's sin. And I'm going to draw you a diagram because I think like this. Hopefully it helps. There have been... um I've had some complaints at the common that we're not artistic enough. And I say, what do you mean? I am one of the greatest drawers of all time. I'm not. Um, but here's this, here's this diagram. I hope it, they're, they're ways. They're, this is trying to illustrate ways of outrunning sin that every heart does. Every heart inclination is to do one of these two things. Holiness, our sin. When we first come to faith, we get a little view, a little inkling, a little, we just sort of see God's grace for the first time. And you get that over your life. You go, wow, you sort of just get it for the first time. That Jesus is so beautiful and so amazing that he bridges the gap between God's holiness and our sin. And you get that for the first time when you come to faith or you know, maybe some of you have been Christians all your life, but you've had that feeling. You've seen it before. But one of the mistakes, one of the things that happens as life goes on and you see radical evil, and you get knocked around a bit of, you know, you get a few chips taken off, a few scabs along the way. And, and the cross stays the same size but you're aware more and more of God's holiness and more and more of your own sin. And we do two things when that happens. This little gap here, this is a, this is a, false, this is a false gospel to outrun sin, which is basically do more work. I know I'm pretty bad. I've just got to keep making up for this. <sighs> work harder. Do more. Don't have fun. Just work harder. Uh, the other way of doing this is under here where we know about our sin and that what can happen here is the um, I don't care or it doesn't matter. I don't care or it doesn't matter gospel. It's also a false gospel. No God's wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I know you're all right. Don't worry. It's okay. Do that. Sin's only little. It's not a big deal. So both these false gospels, what they do is that they shrink Jesus and they amplify us. And when you look at these two, 
he'll try and work out which one, he, which one do you do? Some of you, James, James, I've done 40 of them before lunch. But, like, you, you'll look at one of them and you'll go, one of them is more dangerous than the other. And that'll tell you which one you are because you're the opposite of that. So if you think do more work, be more religious is the problem, it's because you're, you're that. I don't care. And if you think that's more of a problem, it's because you're more like that. Or you know really that your heart's so fickle and so is mine, we're like both. You see, this false, these false gospels shrink and reduce Jesus, enlarge and amplify us, and sin separates us from God. Sin then enslaves us. It's not good news. It's not wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Sin ultimately leads to spiritual death. It will take you from thinking that things that were God, that ungodly things are now even godly. That's how insidious it is. I know it for me. See, our problem of sin can't be dealt with by shrinking, by outworking it, by ignoring it. It can only be dealt with Jesus because this, because the crucified, risen man, who, he, who will, he'll heal the weight of time. Radical evil will not win. Who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died in our place. Sin will keep going, but it can't be fixed by a flood and wiping people out, but by a flood of blood. It can't be fixed by a deluge of water, but by a deluge of blood. It can't be fixed by drowning people, but by God himself in the person of Jesus drowning in blood, because that's what happened on the cross. See, we'll either be swept away by a deluge of our sin or be counted with those who, at the end of time, have had their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Because the truth is, we cannot outrun this sin. Because this is the gospel. It always has been. It always will be. You're far more loved than you could ever imagine. You'll be far more blessed than you could ever believe. He loves you. He's calling you to trust in him each day of your life. And he will make all things right. The radical evil that's happened to you and the radical evil that you have done will be washed clean because we're all guilty of both of those things. We will be washed clean only by the blood of Jesus. Amen.